This is Ron Friends, comics illustrator, and this is a bumper for the amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Thanks for joining us for the third episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, in this first season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk, we've been taking a closer look at the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko creative run on Amazing Spider-Man. Last episode, we talked about just who exactly is Peter Palmer, I mean Parker. Uh, so now that we kind of covered that and solved that great mystery, right? I mean, you know, there's no question that we know everything about the character now. We definitely uh, came to a conclusive end. Exactly, that he is a man of contradictions. Um well, with that being said, now we're going to look at all the things that make him Spider-Man, i.e. his powers, costumes, gadgets, uh, and how they are all first presented by Lee and Ditko. And then we'll talk a little bit about how they evolve kind of in the years that follow that. Yeah, and a lot of the details we'll be discussing today can be found in the Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1 in that backup section. So if you want to read along, that's a great place to start, as is almost any comic from the Lee and Dicko run because they love to use all these gadgets and powers. But of course, you can find a copy of Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, which for the record definitely counts. <laughs> you can find it just about anywhere, print, digital, or as part of Marvel's unlimited service. So whether you've read it a million times or not at all, we hope you enjoy our episode entitled Power, Costumes, Gadgets? Oh my... It occurred to me that he could naturally shoot webbing, but I foolishly thought that would make him seem too, I don't know, there's something unpleasant about webbing coming out of a guy's hand. I thought by giving him little web shooters that he creates himself, first of all, it would show how brilliant he is. And um, the best thing about the mechanical web shooters was there would be times when he needed his webs and he ran out. And what is he going to do? And as a writer, it's always great to have a story where you have a great way for your hero to get into trouble. 
So, Dan, just right before we get into it, I, uh, you know, to the annual question, I just want to put out there that um, my my brother gave me my uh, birthday present a few days early this week, and I got a copy of ASM Annual Number Three, the Avengers issue, which I do believe ca- I do think it does count. So, in terms of owning all of the annuals that actually count in my book, I'm much closer to having everything that counts now. This is as close of an admission that I'll ever get from you. There you go. But um, I'll take to, it. To, to the point of why people are listening to our show, Powers, Costumes, Gadgets, oh my. Uh, well, you know, let's just say that in the beginning, Peter wasn't exactly an Iron Man yet in terms of his uh, technological know-how and and whatnot, but uh, we did get to see from Jump Street some miraculous seamstressing abilities, web shooters, and of course, just the general power set, which is a lot of fun. So um, why don't we start with the actual costume? Because Dan, I know you love costumes. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 I mean, you know, you're dressed. You're dressed up in one right now. I, you know, you, you're, is that so, you're, some reference to something I'm not even aware of? I know. I just know that you lo- you you love. Co- I think when we were like planning these shows, I was like, yeah, we'll talk about his powers and his gadgets. You're like, and costumes. You're right. I do. I I do love the costume because yeah. I think it really is a distinguishing feature of Spider-Man's. I mean, it is a costume unlike any other in comics. I. I I can't think of another costume that has that kind of like texturing on it. Like who else has something as intricate as webs drawn on their suit? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very intricate suit and, you know, something that I think would be comically butchered over the years, depending on who was drawing the suit, i.e. the Spider-Man 67 animated series <laughs> where they would just give up on the webbing halfway through. <laughs> I thought you were referencing to uh, Jack Kirby's cover of Strange Tales Annual Number Two. Oh well, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> but beyond like the texturing and the uniqueness of the costuming, I mean, I think probably one of the most distinguished things that makes Spider-Man Spider-Man, and this was something that was a very deliberate decision from Steve Ditko, is the mask, the full covering mask, and. Um, one of the main reasons, you know, in, while researching the, the book that I had just wrote and published um, that, you know, Dicko talks about in like some of his essays is, you know, he, he said from the get go to Stanley that he wanted the mask because he wanted to he wanted something that would make the reader uncomfortable, which um, in terms of a character named Spider-Man and, you know, the, the whole thing we talked about this in episode one, Spider-Man's being uh, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Martin Goodman thinking spiders are icky and would offend the crowd, the, the, the readers. Um, he having, also wanted to make Peter uncomfortable because it's annoying to breathe in that thing. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, <laughs> like in, in that annual, in, in the first annual where they kind of run through all the powers and costumes and stuff, I mean, they talk about how it like, oh, it muffles his face. But, you know, from even from a, le- a less pragmatic standpoint, I mean, Dicko wanted that mask because it's it's very unnerving and beyond that it it establishes the fact that anybody anything can be under that mask it could be a human it could be a teenager it could be an adult it could be a subhuman you know what i mean like like they <laughs> he wanted to establish the fact that and obviously it played into the mythos right away with you know spider-man menace or hero or whatever 
um, <clears throat> that anybody could have been under that mask. I mean, to me, it's it's one of those things that is you, we kind of take it for granted now because he is a mask, and you know, everyone, you know, you, you think of Spider Man, you think of the mask, but like to actually get into that place where when you know thinking back to how it had to be this very deliberate decision and, and the rationale behind it to me that's a stroke of brilliance yeah i agree and it's why you see so many people like cosplaying as spider-man or you know kids dressing up as spider-man for halloween because there's an inherent easy ability for you to imagine yourself in that costume but it comes with you know some difficulties as well like once your face is covered up it's a lot harder to emote uh, you know, or to draw the character emoting or in the movie have the character emoting while wearing the mask. That's why you see all those Spider-Man movies where in the final act his mask gets destroyed or taken off and his identity revealed because they want the character to be able to express himself. And, you know, they recently fixed that with Homecoming. Um, but in the comics, you know, they had to, you know, come up with something. And I think that's probably where those big eyes came in. Yeah. And, and, you know, Ditko talks about the fact, like, you know, the half, the half Peter, half mask thing that also usually is used for, like, spider sense and stuff, which we'll get to in a second. Um, I mean, that, that was kind of Ditko's way of trying to cover some of the emoting as well. And Lee, interesting, I mean, at least according to Ditko, Stanley hated the half mask thing because he was just like, you know, what are people seeing both? What, what, like, what is this supposed to mean? You know, like he took it so he, he took it very literally. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, but but that I mean, to your point, you know, that was kind of one of Dicko's workarounds, but it didn't change the fact that yeah, when when the character was fully in mask, it be, you know it just became more of a challenge to to raise the emotional stakes for the character. Um, do you want to talk about the eyes? Because they've kind of seen them represented so many different ways in the medium, whether they're, you know, like shutters like they are in, uh, in the, you know, the Homecoming movie or like weird stick on like sunglasses, mirrors in the other ones. Uh, you know, what do you think about these eyes? Oh, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty cool. Well, they're described in the first annual as being plastic lenses that work like two-way mirrors. Hmm. That's so. That's the actual, you know, at least how they're initially presented by Lee and Dicko. That's the 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 tangible qualities of the eyes, um, which is just you know kind of begs the question. I mean, you know, the the true miracle of miracle for Spider-Man is how the heck did this teenage kid put this costume together? Yeah. Furthermore, beyond the seamstressing of it, like where did he find? plastic lenses that work as two-way mirrors <laughs> like oh i just had that lying around in my 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 at-home science lab but um it is interesting how like over the years like i feel like what romita kind of made them bigger right was that yeah is that a, and, and then like mcfarland kind of riffed on romita and it, it is interesting that they've kind of gotten bigger gotten smaller i mean how do you feel the how what 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 are like the qualities that you that you like about the eyes of the costume well i mean if i were to choose an artist drawing them the best i think like bagley and ramita have the best balance in terms of their size i always felt like todd's eyes were a little too big and eric larson as well like they kind of took over the face um right. which can be appropriate sometimes but um 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's something really neat about, like, they're just this kind of, at least from an artistic sense, they're the only thing white on his costume. So they immediately jump out, you know? Like, they're kind of this interesting punctuation to the face mask. And I can't think of another hero who's got, like, his eyes represented in such a large way. So, like, I like it when the eyes emote. I don't know how you feel about it, but some people really don't like when the eyes open and close and stuff. Uh, and like, But I think if they're used right... It's a really great way to get into the mind of Peter. Yeah, I mean, like, not to not to contradict you, but I like I that's part of the, what I like about McFarlane's huge eyes is because like I think it it does exaggerate the emotions even more. Like sad sad Spider Man with McFarlane is hilarious to me. Like it's just a great <laughs> visual because he looks like like Droopy Dog with those eyes. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. Um. Now, what As about they the fa- slowly work its way down his cheeks to his mouth area. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are his eyes on his chin? What's going on? <laughs> now, what about the fact that, and we haven't even talked about what Jack Kirby's initial Spider-Man costume looked like, but what about the fact that there's actually a bit of a controversy about where Dicko got his idea from? Like, like you know, you... you you have a you you were diligent in your research and found this great article from Newsarama from a few years back and and what did that article say, Dan? Yeah, sure. There's this uh, you know a lot of controversy, like you said. There's there was this company called Ben Cooper in the fifties, and you may have heard of them. They created Halloween costumes for the longest time up until like the mid nineties, where they sold their whole catalog to some of the other companies that are around today. Um, but they were this New York based costume company and um you know they were if you wanted a halloween costume in the 50s and 60s you knew ben cooper that was the place to go um and in 1954 curiously enough they put out their first spider-man costume now some of you might be thinking wait a minute spider-man came out in 1962 how did they put out a spider-man costume in 1954 well that's exactly the point uh, they put out this costume. It was all yellow, but it featured a lot of the elements that are very similar to Steve Ditko's design. It had, um, you know, the the lens eyes that we're familiar with. It has a web pattern on the face radiating out from the nose and down the body. It's got a big spider emblem on the chest, and it's got like the solid colors on the arms and the legs. I mean, you couldn't look at this thing and not think that Spider-Man with a hyphen. Their Spider-Man did not have a hyphen. I'll say that. There you go. Straight off the bat. Uh, That's a distinguishing difference. Um, But here's the curious thing. Uh, Ben Cooper's had had storefronts all throughout New York, including several that were right near Marvel's headquarters in New York. And their their headquarters of Ben Cooper were actually not even 10 miles from Marvel's headquarters. And it was rumored that – and not even just rumored. It's known that Jack Kirby worked for Ben Cooper and designed – a bunch of their costumes. Um, we don't know if he designed the Spider-Man costume, but we know he did a bunch of the other ones. Um, so it's not too big of a stretch to think that maybe, you know, Dicko was walking to work one day because he used to walk his pages to Marvel to drop them off at the office. Um, you know, even when he was having a fight with Stan Lee, I don't think it's too much of a stretch that you could, he would have maybe seen this costume in the storefront window, whether consciously or not, and drawn some kind of inspiration from it, or that Jack Kirby's early 
workings of this costume were similar to the one he may have designed for Ben Cooper. But here's where it gets really interesting. Spider-Man comes out. It's a big success. Um, and in 1964, two years after it was created, Ben Cooper releases the first licensed Marvel product ever released. Like, there's no Fantastic Four products. There's no Hulk products. The first one ever is a Spider-Man costume. And mm. Ben Cooper gets the deal to it. And uh, the there's it's not written down on paper, but there's been a number of people that have reported that uh, Martin Goodman... Uh, you know, who was running Marvel at the time, and Ben Cooper met up and uh, agreed that they wouldn't sue or, or find any kind of copyright things if Ben Cooper got access to the, Mar- the Spider-Man costume to sell. And it was one of their best sellers for years and years and years and years. Um, so who could say if it was a good deal <laughs> or not for them? Because they made, made a lot of money off of it, but they probably could be making billions off of it. Right. Uh, if it was actually could be found. So someone asked Steve Dicko about oh, this. Yeah. And I bet, you know, Dicko was always one willing to share credit. So I bet he was pretty good about this. Right. Oh, yeah. He was ecstatic <laughs> about it. He's like, you found me. Uh, I love this. That's definitely where I got my inspiration from. No, actually, no, when- he said something very different. Mark, you have the quote. What did he say? He says, the burden of proof is on the person who makes the assertion, claim, charge, some clippings, etc. are not rational proof of anything but some clippings, etc. That is such a dicko quote. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll never know. But uh, in my mind, I mean, I'll have the picture in the podcast. I don't think you can see this and not draw a conclusion. I mean, it's, it's so similar. Right. Now, as for the whole Kirby thing, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Kirby gave like uh, an interview in uh, the 80s to the Comics Journal where, you know, it's kind of it's a very infamous interview for the industry where he completely savages Stanley and pretty much everything connected to Marvel. And, you know, among many claims he makes in that article is that he created Spider-Man, um, whether we're talking about the costume here is neither here nor there, because the thing is. According to multiple books and sources and interviews, I mean, there's even pictures of it. Kirby, you know, Kirby did get the first crack at creating a Spider-Man character. That was, you know, Lee gave it to Kirby to start after Fantastic Four. And Kirby's first Spider-Man for the comics looked outside of like the red and blue motif, um, looked and the spider, like the spider insignia on the chest looks nothing like neither this Ben Cooper costume or ultimately what Dicko ended up doing with it. Uh, if anything, I would say that this, um, you know, the original Kirby Spider-Man kind of just looks like Captain America with, like, goggles over his eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's dead on. And, um, and a gun. He had a gun. Like, it was like, you know, like, you see him, like, kind of like, he's got, like, the Captain America from Avengers number four, like, charging into action uh, motif going, but he's holding like a pistol, or like it actually looks like a space zapper, it which does. I guess was like, where, his, where his like webbing was going to come from. It so, does look like a space. I'm surprised that character didn't show up during Spider Verse. Yeah, right. You would think that that would that would have made a was it in that huge uh, Gabriel Delato, uh spread? I don't even remember if it, if that made it in there. I don't even think Pete Ross made it in there, uh, which. Pete Ross is the Marvel DC crossover character, 
and right. called Spider Boy, and he has a web gun. So there you go. There you go. The web gun made an appearance again. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's just so very interesting because obviously Kirby, you know, you would think that if Kirby was going to claim he created Spider-Man, he would have maybe have referenced, again, this Ben Cooper costume thing as as part of the logic behind that. But he never really did. And instead, you know without really elaborating on that because it really is a kind of a vicious interview it, it's such it's kind of i don't have you ever read it dan yeah I mean, and he's old it just kind of seems like a guy it's, it's, who's in the twilight of his life lashing yeah, it's, out. It, it's kind of depressing to read yeah. i mean even if you're like a huge kirby sympathist and 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 think that lee is a is a con man and a shyster to me it's just depressing to read because it just there's no one looks good in the end you know, it's yeah. one of those kind of interviews. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you don't get the sense that he's hanging his hat on Captain America Spider-Man either. So I don't, <laughs> it, it is kind of curious to think, you know, was he thinking of the Ben Cooper thing and either because he didn't remember it or whatever, he just never said it specifically. So, yeah, well, it will forever be shrouded in mystery. I, I, Dicko is not talking either. No. Or like and not also, talking like, in the in the way that we would find useful. Right, right. Um, and let's also not forget when it comes to the exterior of the costume, and then we're going to get into the physicality of the, of the character, uh, good old web pits, which kind of come and go and come and go and come and go again, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, was there ever a functionality to these things? Like, I know the movie gave them kind of like gliding abilities, but I don't remember anybody ever in the comics coming up with a functionality for web pits. No. No, I, I can't. I cannot think of a single issue where that happened. And I also don't feel like. I mean, as 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 cool as it was to see, like in the movie, them like acknowledging the existence of web pits. It's like it's one of those things. Like even when you look at the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man with him, like you know, on the on the cover with his arms spread out, it's kind of like they look weird. Like like he's a spider. <laughs> he's not a bat. It makes him look like, like a bat. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it never made sense to me either from a practicality or even from a visual standpoint. Like I'm, I'm, you know, if this is me sounding like a, you know, a criminal for, for dissing the web pits, I apologize, but, um, I just never really liked them. Well, they definitely vary in size too. Like sometimes they'll be just in his armpits and other times they're like full on wings. You, yeah. you know, and and yeah, I prefer them. I like them, but I prefer them when they're small. I don't understand. Like sometimes they'd be like a greater wingspan than Peter himself. Yeah, it's, it's just weird. Um, one of the many things that are never consistent about Spider-Man and Peter. This is what uh, we're finding out. Nothing, yeah. nothing stays the same. Yeah. So, um, in terms of his actual powers and abilities, um. And and Dicko's capturing, you know, aesthetic and the physicality of the character. I mean, let's run through this. You know, obviously, like spiders, he scales walls. He can leap high. Um, he's got um, super strength, um, which is something that is questionable in terms of the consistency of that. More, more inconsistency. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. Like he can crush... He can get knocked out by Aunt May hitting him over the head with a pot sometimes, and then the other times he's lifting cars up with one hand. I mean, yeah, I mean, in Annual One, like this line threw me. Like I, 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 I literally sat there slack jawed when I read this. The text says, 
only Thor, the Hulk, and the Thing have greater strength. Of course, you know, this is 1964, so, I mean, like, the full stable of Marvel characters had not been fleshed out yet, but all the same, like, you know, like, when you're thinking of, like, the Marvel powerhouses, Spider-Man is usually not in, like, the super, super strong sphere, right? Well, even even in the movies, I remember people like were a bit shocked when in uh, uh, Civil War, Spider-Man catches the Winter Soldier's arm as if it were nothing. And he's like, cool, you have a metal arm. And it's like, well, how powerful is Spider-Man? Is he stronger than Captain America? And you would think yes, right? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, throughout uh, Winter Soldier, it's like proven that that arm is like stronger than Cap's shield or whatever. Like somehow Spider-Man is stopping that. Like, yeah, I mean, who could say just how strong he is? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty crazy, but I I, I do love that 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 is a that is a point that is um kind of comes and goes at the convenience of the creative team. Um, I always felt like both Roger Stern and Tom DeFalco were always very good at reminding the reader that he had the quote unquote proportionate strength of a spider, which to me is like, I mean, it's like an incredibly vague, unmeasurable expression. But <laughs> Who's working but also, out spiders? Yeah, but it's all, but it also works because you know what I mean? Like, you know, like you see spiders. I mean, actually, it's ants that are known as being like incredibly strong. In terms of their size. But right. Are spiders walking around asking each other, how much do you bench, bro? <laughs> you lift, <laughs> you lift, bra? You skip, you, you skip to daddy log legs. You skip leg day, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, dad puns. Is that your superpower? <laughs> um, well, one thing I liked also about um, the description of his powers in the annual is they talk about because he has this uncanny strength, in turn he has uncanny balance, which I, I actually kind of appreciate the physics of that because, I mean, not to now talk about my running, which is my other nerd thing. Um, you know, they always tell you with a runner, like, all, all of your power starts with, like, your core. Like, you know, it's not about being able to bench, but you got to have, like, a super core to be able to, like, have, like, balance and leg strength to, to run. So, like... Thinking about the fact that, you know, Peter is able to walk a tightrope because he's just got like super core strength and just super strength all over the place. I just appreciate the physics of that. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, it's cool. I mean, I always think about the image from Amazing Fantasy 15 of him kind of like balancing on that wire. And it's like, maybe cool it down, dude. That's a bit risky. You're on top of a building. You just discovered these powers. You know, like that's you're you're maybe taking on a little more than you can handle right now. Yeah, I mean, because in the same vein, like you don't see like Thing or Hulk like walking a tightrope in any of the comics. So, <laughs> I mean, the fact that he's you know able to kind of use his strength to do that is is actually really impressive. They're just waiting for the right time to whip out those skills. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of the wall crawling, this thing gets me so. So, you know, Stan Lee, who, you know, you could say what you want to say about his role in the actual f- creation and physicality of the character. But, you know, the way he describes it is, you know, I saw a spider on the wall and I wanted to make a hero. Oh, no, he saw a fly on the wall. And that's 
when he said, I want to make a character who can climb a wall like that. So like that was always something that like was a, meant to be a part of what Spider-Man was going to become. So um, in terms of the scientific, if you will, and I'm making quote marks in the air here for those who, you know, can't see, which is everybody. Uh, <laughs> quote unquote from the annual, his hands and feet support him against the pull of gravity as though they have thousands of tiny suction cups. Specifically, only his hands and feet. Right. And this is, again, talk about inconsistency. Because it's like, I I just never feel like we have a true um, sense of what this wall clinging ability, how it tangibly happens. I mean, I always liked how in the Raimi movie it showed like the little like, Black, it almost looked like spikes that could dig into the walls, kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Oh, like, like the hair on his fingers. Yeah, because um, that at least gave some tangibility to it. But you don't really get that sense in the comics. And like, there's sometimes where he can only do it if his shoes are off. Other times, but like, <laughs> it always works with his costume. I, I don't get it. What do you have any insights on this? No, not really. I mean, my my bigger question is, like, in regard to, like, does it give him leverage? Can he use it to hold on to the wall if he focuses on his hands? Like, there's those times, I think it's in, like, Ultimate Spider-Man, where, like, he gets frustrated and he, like, pulls the, like, drywall off the wall with his thing on his fingertips. Like, does it give him grip? Or is he just, like, sticking to it? You know, like... Uh, it's a weird thing to think about, but, uh, you know, something that would, I mean, it varies every time he uses it. Yeah. And later he would get the ability for his whole body to stick. And then that would go away a few issues later. Yeah. Is that, we talk about the other now or, yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, A lot of that went away. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, so in terms of his leaping ability, um, he can attain the average height of three stories with one bound. I didn't realize that that that, that was kind of the established uh, limits of the leaping. And also he could jump the width of one city street, which is a long distance. I've never seen him really jump that far because he's got webbing. So why would he need to leap that fa- like far forward? I'm sure that's like something. I mean, in the movie, he does that, right? I mean, he leaps yeah. across the buildings in the movie. Right. Which is a pretty bold move. Yeah. And he goes, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my back. (laughs) Well, if we want to talk about the most inconsistent thing of all, it's got to be the spider sense. Well, right. Well, hold up. Just one more thing with the physicality. So I I did find this very funny that apparently when um, Dicko took to – this character and like had, you know, during the amazing fantasy 15 had the pages of him crawling up the walls and like looking kind of gaunt and, and spidery for lack of a, you know, using, using the description to, to describe the character. Um, <laughs> apparently like Stan Lee, like had this moment where he was wondering if like the comic code authority would, would sign off on this because like he thought it might violate the, um, like at that point, it was you know when the authority wouldn't sign off on humans that had monster type abilities like vampires and werewolves and things like that. Um, so he, he Lee was like, oh, you know, like we're, we may not get the the approval on this, but Dicko kind of made him stick to his guns, and it turned out not being a big deal. But 
that that is just kind of a funny sidebar that that Lee like almost like pulled the plug on the character because he just thought it went too far in terms of like looking kind of um, subhuman. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, spider sense. Talk about inconsistency, right? Oh yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, you can definitely get the sense throughout the Lee Dicko era that like they start off with this wide net of what spider sense can do, and then slowly figure out what they feel like continues to be appropriate for spider sense. Because one right. of the first real times we see him using it is to communicate with the chameleon. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, what's interesting, I mean, not to jump around a little bit. So apparently, and we talked about this on an episode of Spider Talk a few months ago. Um, in one of the Dicko essays um, that I had read for research for the book, uh, Dicko credits the origin of of naming it or, or referring to it, at least between, in his conversations with, with, with Stan Lee, as Spider-Sense and Issue 2. Because there's this scene where he's, you know, looking for the vulture and the vulture's flying overhead and you see like little squiggly lines above his head. And, and Lee apparently like asked Dicko, well, what's what's this supposed to be? And he's like, oh, that's like his his spider sense. It's like his sonar. And Lee was like, all right, sounds sounds fine. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, Dicko. Whatever, Steve. Um but yeah, but but you know when we were reading issue one again for you know, our our last episode, I I was like yeah, there's this whole thing with the chameleon where the chameleon is like like I'll, I'll set up my radio waves to communicate to him and it's like what the hell is this then and it's clearly spider sense but it's not names that and like I mean what was your takeaway from it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's t- truly bizarre. And then, uh, you know, later on in that same issue, Spider-Man, like, tunes his Spider-Sense, however he does that, so yeah. he can locate the helicopter that, that he's escaping in. Like, how bizarre. Uh, it's, it's yeah, and, and the thing that's so interesting about Spider-Sense is, you know, in its own, it's it's one of those things that makes Spider-Man incredibly unique. I mean, you know, probably the only other character that has something similar is Daredevil with his um, his. I I mean, that's true sonar. I would say, right? I mean, is that is Doesn't that a he fair? Call it his like radar sense or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although, I mean, it's supposed to be that he's got heightened because he can't see. He has heightened other senses, and then. You know, over time, that kind of evolved to literally look like like a bat sonar. You know what I mean? Like like especially with Frank Miller. Yeah. Um. But with with Spider Man, I mean, like you know, my my sense of of Spider Sense, and and not for nothing, I always felt that the ramifications of what Spider Sense looked like being turned off that was best captured during Dan Slott's story, um, a few years ago, kind of in the lead up to Spider Island. Because uh, like there's even that one scene where he shoots a web and doesn't realize that like the facing the facade of the wall of the building is crumbling and he just like falls off the side of the wall. <laughs> I love that um, moment. Because, yeah, because he can't sense it. And like that to me was always supposed to really like at the end of the day, that's where spider sense. That's to me is what true spider sense is, what, you know, regardless of the variations and radio waves and all the other things that come and go. I mean, I always think about it. It's something that warns him 
a split second before of, of imminent danger, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's inconsistently used. Like, there are times where, like, he's around a person who is dangerous, and it triggers his spider sense, so it helps him, like, root out a criminal in a crowd or know that a right. scenario he's in is not a good one to be in. Whereas, like, other times I always think about the kid who collects Spider-Man where the, he pulled the bullets out of the wall and it allowed Spider-Man to dodge all those bullets, you know, because he knew exactly where they were going to go. And it tells him to kind of just jump out of the way. Like, that's, that's how I think about Spider-Sense is duck, jump, do whatever, but wherever you're standing, something bad is about to happen. Um, but yeah, it gets expanded to like that dude over there is a creep. My senses are telling me he's a creep. Yeah. And, the, or even that, oh, I need to slip into my civvies. Oh, wait, you know, there might be a person in this alleyway. My spider sense is going off. You know what I mean? Or, or, you know, the, or the flip side of that, like, like the most recent storyline, the, you know, the Osborne storyline in, in ASM where like, He's like chatting with Bobby Morris about being Spider-Man as Peter. And then like all of a sudden, like Aunt May and Harry are on the plane. And you're kind of like, wouldn't his spider sense have been going off if he was being so cavalier about his identity? You know what I mean? Like talk about the inconsistencies of it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He also like, you know, there's been times, especially in this early like Dicko run where you're talking about Daredevil. There's times where Spider-Man kind of has used his spider sense like Daredevil's advanced hearing where Daredevil just tried to like listen over the whole city, you know, and and Spider-Man would like get on a rooftop and see where his senses, you know, led him. Um, This is like pre spider tracer. And I'm sure it was just a way, you know, for them to find a way to get Spider-Man to some scene of the crime because he doesn't have like Superman's ability to fly everywhere. And he wasn't really a part of the daily bugle yet. So the senses kind of like, were a stand-in for here's what's happening uh, in the city. You got to go stop the crime. Yeah, or then sometimes it becomes like you know the Star Wars like Jedi uh, uh, Force because like I, I I think back to and when we interviewed him as well about it, he mentioned this you know David Morell in the Spider-Man Frost story where he was talking about how like. Um, you know, Spider-Man was just able to sense that his Aunt May was in trouble and that's how he was like trying to trudge across town in the blizzard to, to find her. And you're just kind of like, I never got a sense that's how it works. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that seems a little, you know, he's not Luke Skywalker being, you know, like I just heard a thousand or a million screams go silent or I know that's not Luke. It's Obi-Wan. You can correct me. My Shame spider parano- paranoia is going off. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, speaking but, uh, of uh, spider sense, we're talking about the spider tracer? Yeah. So the tracer first appeared in its tangible form in Amazing Spider-Man number 11. Uh, that's the um, the two-parter with Doc Ock and where Betty Brandt's brother gets killed at, at the end of it. Um, he um, When he invents it, uh, he describes it as a quote-unquote detailed model of a live spider except for the transistorized circuits I've installed inside. No matter where it is, it will send back coded messages to me which I can pick up with my small portable receiver. And you're just kind of like, WTF, how, is this, how did this kid invent that? And where does he get the technology for it? He's a poor kid from Queens. <laughs> yeah, right. For all of his moaning about having no money, this kid is, uh, is it's finding some high-tech gear. 
Yeah, like sending back coded messages. I mean, <laughs> I I'm going to I'm going to put this out there, Dan. To me, like I find the spider tracers to be pretty dumb. I like the spider tracer. I'm going to I'm going to stand up to you on that one. Okay. Uh, I mean, like like to me it's just I don't know, like he doesn't need this. Like it's just like <laughs> But um just before, without having a, a an argument of merits on something that is completely fantastical, uh, it's it's so it's worth noting. So you know, in, for the most part, in the beginning, the spider tracer was you you know he used a receiver to trace it, uh, and then somewhere, I I couldn't confirm this exactly, but according to like the one of the Marvel uh, Wikia sites, they cited uh, Amazing Spider-Man number fifty three as the first time where. He just used his spider sense to track the tracer, not the radio. And that sounds about right. Um, I was going to say, I don't think it really shows up for a long time. It kind of goes away and then comes back around then. Right. And then kind of more to that point, one thing I always appreciated was he would go back to the transistor, you know, the radio, when... um, he needed to track something over a longer distance, like for a commuter cometh where, you know, obviously the guy is like out of the city. He's in Westchester. So he, he goes and he pulls out the little, little radio to find him on the Metro, you know, going back towards the the suburbs. So that's kind of, you know, so, so if if he is just using spider sense, it's gotta be for a short distance of like what, a couple of hundred feet, I think is what they establish. Well, there were those like pre GPS days where Spider-Man would literally go, I'm going to go swing around the city until I pick up traces of my spider tracer on this guy. And you just imagine a guy going like grid style through Manhattan, (laughs) just (laughs) trying to find this little thing he planted. First we'll go down Seventh Avenue. Now we'll go down Eighth Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do want to say though, the original design is really funny because it looks like an actual spider. But like, I love the stuff during Bagley's run where it kind of became like this his back symbol as yeah. this kind of like cute little spider tracer. I always think about the artwork of like, uh, like Venom. You know, noticing it and then crunching it with its tendrils, you know, like this, yeah, yeah. this poor cute little spider of just being smashed. <laughs> um, yeah, anything else on spider senses and tracers you want to talk about? I like the tracers. I'm going to stand I, up for the tracers. I Like I said, I just find them completely unnecessary and very deus machina. I mean, you know, like... Again, we're already talking about someone who can climb on walls and can sense danger and can crush pipes and apparently is as strong as some of the strongest characters. I don't understand why he needs to, like, you know, have GPS trackers around, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> will, you, will you say that they're at least better than his new, like, subdermal tracers that get under your skin? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Um, but in terms of tech that Peter created, I mean, the, the one thing that's been there since Amazing Fantasy number 15, which to me remains like one of the most amazing inventions um, that any Marvel character has come up with themselves is the web shooters, of course, uh, and web formula, because it's kind of hand in hand. Um, 
What do you think about web shooters, Dan? You're not going to diss the web shooters, right? No, the web shooters are every kid's dream. I mean, you got to get a hold of these things. They're the best part of his powers, and they're not even part of his powers. Yeah, I mean, well, to me, that shows the power uh, that you know that happened pre spider, you know, before a spider bite, which is Peter's intellect. Because I don't know, like you know, we're joking about like. You know, where he gets the, the materials for coded, you know, sending coded messengers to transistor radios. But like, for whatever reason, because this was just there from the get go, um, I do get the sense that he just kind of, you know, foraged around in his bedroom and found the equipment to do this. Like, I, I don't know. That's like, I, I, I could suspend the disbelief that he just had the crap lying around and did it. Is there, has anybody <laughs> ever written a story where he didn't get bit by a spider but still invented the web shooters anyway and there's just this like like unathletic dorky kid swing, <laughs> swinging around town getting hurt by these web shooters? That sounds about – well, I am I could be wrong but I think there might have been something with um, – there was a what if – where they, it was three different characters getting bitten by the spider, and I think um, Flash Thompson got bit, and because he wasn't smart enough to invent the web shooters, like he ended up getting like killed on the job because <laughs> you know he had the powers but didn't know how to use them. Basically, I and, thought you were going to say he farmed them out by beating up Peter Parker and demanding <laughs> instead of lunch money, you can make me web shooters. I might be misremembering that, but I'm pretty sure that like he didn't have it and that. I know that Flash and his story dies at the end, and I think that has something to do with it. Like, he wasn't smart enough to make the web shooters. You know, in, in typical Stanley hyperbole, in uh, ASM Manual number one, when they're going over the web shooters, it's described as, well, for web formula, Peter, you know, how did Peter create web formula? Well, he is, quote unquote, probably the world's greatest authority on the subject of webs and their creation. <laughs> He's doing a lot of science projects on spiders and webs, apparently. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the, the comic also notes that formula is a quote-unquote closely guarded secret, but it uses the most exacting conditions in his home lab and stores it in small cylinders like toothpaste. I mean, you know, that does kind of strain credibility a little bit that you know what are these exacting conditions in his home bedroom were like <laughs> he's you know, doing Aunt May, cold fusion where like Aunt May is constantly walking in with like cookies and milk but like he can create <laughs> web stay out I'm just being a mad scientist Aunt May <laughs> I guess it's a little better than doing it in the drawer at school like in Spider-Man Homecoming Yes, yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I've always loved about um, the web shooters is the exact hand pattern that he has to use to trigger it. I mean, they have a little bit of yes. fun with it in the original Spider-Man movie, but I always used to make that hand pattern, and I can't mm -hmm. really think of another like hero that has something like that other than maybe like Doctor Strange with his weird hand stuff, but like it's almost like universal. If you make that symbol, everybody knows that's Spider-Man's thing. Yeah, it's thwip thwip, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, he's also got a sound effect that's like his own thing. Him and yeah. Wolverine have got snick yeah. and thwip. Snick it, snick it and thwip. <laughs> 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 um, 
Yeah, I, I, the, the the exact the, when they talk about the mechanics in a, in the annual, they quote it as it's worn on his wrist and activated by the slightest touch of his finger upon the super sensitive electrode located at the palm of his hand. That's some pretty sophisticated which, stuff. Yeah, which makes sense. Uh, and apparently, I don't think I realized this. There are three nozzle settings. There's a thin, strong line. Um, you know, just to shoot a line, you know, to grab onto a building. There's fine quick spray, which is for the, uh, the Spider-Man parachute net, which we saw a few times during Lee Dicko. And then a thick adhesive liquid, like a glue goppy stuff, which I guess is like for when he like captures villains. Um, or like does the, the, the web balls in Doc Ock's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's the only one who gets the web balls in the eyes. <laughs> and then there's all those crazy things that he can make it into. Yes. Uh, yeah, they show him. <laughs> he makes a shield, a parachute, a safety net, skis, a raft, a club, a ball of just old sticky glue. But, I mean, did we actually ever see any of these things? I don't think so. But spider skis, like, have got to happen. Like, where, where are the spider skis? I mean, you know, we just had that whole storyline where he was like in the snowy mountains fighting Norman Osborn. Why didn't we have spider skis? Perfect time for web skis. Yeah. Um, also, just a thing to note, it is um, strong enough to hold the thing uh, and fireproof. So, you know, again, when he has his fights with Johnny Storm, <laughs> it's like um, – and also very elastic, although the annual note said it's not quite as elastic as Mr. Fantastic. So that's, apparently like all it know. all gets gauged against the Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that there was to gauge it against. And um, as it has, has been noted dozens of times in the comics, it disappears after one hour or dissolves. Leaving his clothes up on a roof somewhere. Yes. So um, – pretty cool right i love the web shooters they're the best yeah yeah and i mean peter very openly acknowledges throughout this run as you know the web shooters being great in an amazing spider-man number seven in one line he refers to them as quote-unquote being the greatest thing i ever dreamed up so and web swinging is great too i mean uh that's the kind of thing you always dreamed about before he ever came to the big screen or was ever animated like how would this guy move? What would that look like? I always would think about it when I walked through New York City. Like, what would it actually be like to see a guy swinging through the buildings? It's just such a cool thing. Way cooler than flying. Yeah. And, like, creating it visually, like in the movies, I mean, like, they talked about the, oh, like the spider cams that Raimi used, like, where were these, like, cameras that they would crane up like 200 feet on a zip line and like drop them up and down. I mean, like that's, I mean, really kind of crazy stuff to be doing with cameras. But like, I think that captured it visually, right? Yeah, absolutely. That or they were using the spider mannequin to make it right. happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I went to bat for the spider tracers. Uh, I am not going to go to bat for this next uh, <laughs> ability of Spider-Man's. It, you can't forget about the spider signal, or maybe you can. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Like, that, that you know, the spider signal showed up in, like, one of the teasers at the end of Civil War, and, like, it was supposed to be, like, this really awesome thing of, look, it's the spider signal. But I'm like, 
has there ever really been a tangible use for it? I mean, like, because he's not, he's not, I mean, to me, it just screams Batman, you know, like it's the bat signal. But, you know, that had a tangible use that was used by Gotham police to alert Batman to that they need him. Right. I mean, that that was that seems pretty logical, right? Yeah, we did get that in the Superior Spider-Man era. Yeah. But that but, was an obvious joke about Batman. Right. Yeah. But um but it's basically just him like I mean, you know, we always joke that Spider-Man kind of has this, you know, when he when when Peter is Spider-Man, he he kind of takes on a a, a more uh extroverted personality and you know, he's more jokey and and more cocky and confident. So he uses the spider tracer to kind of like announce his presence and like, hey, guys, I'm about to kick your butt, which is, I guess, kind of funny. But there's no other use for them beyond that. Sometimes he would use it to like illuminate dark spaces uh, yeah. and like guide himself through things. And then later in Amazing Spider-Man 675, he uh, got like a second mode for it where it switched it into like UV light and he used it for <laughs> forensic purposes. So... Every time Spider-Man goes to a hotel room, he's sure to use that spider belt to, uh, to, to I'm glad figure you, out where yeah, I'm he's glad been. you made the hotel room joke because I was, <laughs> I was right there. We were, we were, we were simpatico on that one. <laughs> I think for me, the, the places that I think it, you know, it's most interesting is that, first of all, like, it kind of was the first appearance of that like, Spider-Man eye symbol that like, Carly Cooper would later get tattooed on her. and. Right. Um, you know, it was on a bunch of the covers for a little while. Like, I'm thinking of Amazing Spider-Man 22, that the clown and the Masters of Menace story that is yes. unforgettable. Oh, who could forget the Masters of Menace? Hey, uh, it's another Ringmaster story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on that and cover, Princess Python, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think about that Vulture cover with the eyes that's really uh, unforgettable. You mean 63? That's my first Silver Age issue, so I will always remember that. Yeah, that one's great. It's, you're talking with the two vultures, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that one, and then there's the one with the vulture in the brick wall. Oh, uh, right, right, right. That right, one's great, right. too. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not about to fight you on your dissing of the spider signal. You know, one thing, you know, in talking about, and those are more or less the base powers and gadgets uh, from Lee Dicko, but, you know, we one thing we got to talk about here is like, you know, like it kind of like playing to the idea that Spider-Man is more of like this thinking man character is he always kind of seems to be talking about his powers and his gadgets and his limits and using them um, or he's like improvising off of them. Like I always think with Electro, he he makes like, you know, like shockproof webbing or he like webs up his hands for protection and stuff like that. Like it. it it just shows uh, like him thinking many steps ahead and always kind of being in his head as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah, or someone will crush the web shooter or he'll – how many times does he run out of web cartridges? Like right. I think to the point that no one's allowed to use that plot device anymore because yeah. it's so overdone. I mean when was the last time he ran out of web cartridges? Uh, a while ago because it, it was so overused. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, there there were definitely. I think that was a shooterism. Like he can't run out of you know shooters. Like things was you can't kill Aunt May, 
and you can't get rid. You can't. You can't run out of web fluid. Yeah. <laughs> but another interesting thing about the the Dicko run is that like most of his villains, like their way of like defeating him the first time would be they would take away one of his powers, whether because he was sick or the goblin used some kind of smoke bomb that removed his spider sense. We actually saw that just a couple months ago in the modern Amazing Spider-Man. Um, right. Like, this is something that was continually done. Like, you can't use this power, so how do you compensate for that? Right, right. Yeah, like, you know, he couldn't punch out Sandman because Sandman kept changing his mass and density. Or, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, and again, it, it just demonstrates how Peter, beyond being having these great abilities, I mean... Perhaps, perhaps to not to render this all moot, but perhaps his best ability is the one that he had, regardless of the spider bite, which is his intellect. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about uh, last episode that, like, we think the reason we really like the character of Spider-Man is because of Peter Parker. But I think, like, in the terms of like superheroes, he also has a really cool power set. Oh, absolutely, and it's and it's very unique and distinct. I, I mean, I, that you know, it, it's not just that he's strong. It's not just that he, you know, I mean, the gadgets are great. I mean, outside of Iron Man, who's got cool gadgets like this, you know, like, and it seems like you know, whether intentional or not, like all of his abilities are kind of out there to counter or or complement other heroes' abilities. I mean, you know, even the fact that they're like kind of gauging all of his things against the Fantastic Four. Like, oh, he can hold the thing, and it's elastic for Mr. Fantastic, and it's fireproof for Human Torch. And I feel like, <laughs> like we, we, but we see that a lot, and, and it kind of plays also to Spider-Man being a loner and kind of being an uh, outcast and a misfit, this idea that, you know, like, not that he's trying to go against the other heroes, but if he... If he ever chose to go down that path, he would have the means to to take on a lot of these other other characters in the Marvel universe, or fight all of the X Men in Secret Wars. Yeah, well, yeah, that was just awesome. <laughs> well, that was a great way of putting it, Mark. Uh, why don't you take us home here? Yeah, well, thanks for joining us for our third episode of the first season of the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Dan, our next episode will be out on two weeks, on August 16th. And what's the title for that show? Yeah, that show's going to be called If This Be Spider-Man's Destiny. Ooh. Yeah, we're going to be breaking down all of the reoccurring tropes that are destined to show up in Spider-Man comics and movies for as long as they're continuing to make them. That means lifting things over his head, uh, (laughs) the Parker luck, I mean, you name it. There are yeah. things from this run that will echo on forever. Spider-Man quitting. Yeah, that's, that's another one of them. So we'll save some of them for the show, but that's what we're going to be talking about. You got it. You got it. Uh, also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed for this week's bonus episode. 
Uh, this time we're going to be talking about all the spider news out of San Diego Comic-Con, uh, what we think uh, will happen when Peter rejoins the Daily Bugle and Amazing Spider-Man, and our thoughts on the return of John Watts to the Spider-Man Homecoming franchise that's sequel. Uh, and remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to all of these exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, news items, mailbags, etc., etc. And then for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to commissioned artwork. Well, speaking of that commissioned artwork, Mark, um, I'm excited that I get to announce who's doing our first one. And it's none other than Ron Friends. Uh, a good friend of the show. He's going to be doing our fish com- first commissioned art prints for the members of our club. So I'll be working together with Ron to cook up something extra special for all of our faithful patrons. So I can't wait to debut what that artwork is. But if you want to get some Ron Friends artwork in the mail, you can do it by signing up for our club. That's awesome, Dan. I'm very excited. So, Dan... Um where can we find you on the World Wide Web? Yeah, of course, you can find me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. And you can find all my writing for all the new reviews of the Amazing Spider-Man issues over on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. What about you, Mark? What have you up been up to this week? Yeah, well, I, I I've admittedly have not been writing as much lately. But when I am writing, you can find me on Chasing Amazing Blog and SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And, of course, you can find... 330 some odd pages of my writing in uh, bookstores everywhere and online book vendors. And the book is called 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die by Triumph Books. Uh, get your copy today. And if you get it and read it and like it, or even if you don't like it, leave me a review on wherever you bought it from to help the visibility of the book. What about your Twitter account? Oh, yeah, Twitter. Thanks, Dan. Uh, you can find me at ChasingASM blog. Did you say your tweet Twitter account? Or I, I did. I did, Mark. Oh, God. That, that shows how well I listen to you. Thanks I'm, so I'm... much, Mark. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh... You know, Mark, powers aren't everything. You know, they're, they're, sometimes you have all this power and you need some kind of motto to help you keep it in line. What motto might that be? Well, that motto might be with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. 